huge show today, a lot going on on the ground in Ukraine. We're also going to get into the suspension of gas taxes in multiple states across the country. But before we do that, I want to let you guys know some stuff that's going on with Turning Point USA. First, the debate night was just held between Charlie Kirk and Buck Angel. You want to check this out, you go tpusa.com slash debate night. It's all about porn culture and the trans agenda. Next, YWLS, the Young Women's Leadership Summit, June 2nd to 4th, Dallas, Texas, Turning Point USA slash YWLS. Make sure you use promo code POSO when you get your tickets. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard today's edition of Human Events Daily. Today's top stories. First up, the ground update in Ukraine as the war enters day 34. We've got a ton of news on the diplomatic front as well as talks are now being held right on the banks of the Bosphorus in Turkey. Next, Mearsheimer's 2015 warning is now being called out as an example of toxic masculinity. We'll dig into it. Third, Georgia and Maryland become the first states to suspend their gas tax. What does that mean for you? And finally, China is entering a two-stage COVID-19 lockdown in the city of Shanghai. All this and more ahead, Human Events Daily. Are you worried that other leaders in the world are gonna to start to doubt that America is back if some of these big things that you say on the world stage keep getting walked back. What's getting walked back? It made it sound like, just in the last couple days, uh, it sounded like you told US troops they were going to Ukraine. It sounded like you said it was possible the US would use a chemical weapon, and it sounded like you were calling for regime change in Russia, and we know None of the three occurred. None of the three occurred? None of the three. Well, peace talks are being held between the Russians and Ukrainians today in the city of Istanbul. You know, we were just talking about how yesterday was the anniversary of the changing of the name, the official changing of the name from Constantinople to Istanbul. Well, now we're having those peace talks today. They're happening right on the banks of the Bosphorus in an ancient palace that was once the palace of the Ottoman sultans. What's going on? Well, we're seeing the reports, and this is coming out live as we report this, so please bear in mind that we're in the thick of things. But what we're hearing is that Russia's deputy defense minister has, says that Moscow has decided to fundamentally cut back military activity in the direction of Kiev and Chernikov in order to increase mutual trust for future negotiations to agree and sign a peace deal with Ukraine. As we said before, the military advances on Kiev and some of the other major cities of Ukraine were done as a forcing function to enable Russian military advances to capture other cities. What did it do? It split Ukraine's defenses. Now we may be seeing indications, and as we're getting the news in right now, that Ukraine is actually noting that Russian forces seem to be falling back from the city of Kiev and may actually be letting up that siege, that blockade, those that encirclement, those positions that have been held for weeks at this point. Let's continue. From the Ukrainian side, Ukraine, um, there. so the advisor to President Zelensky says they're looking for an enhanced analog of NATO's Article 5 with the U.S., the U.K., and other guarantors to be legally active, actively involved in protecting Ukraine. They're offering to settle the Crimea issue bilaterally within 15 years and vow to never make a fight over it. So we're not hearing any specifics on the Donbass region. Obviously, that's going to be an area of, of great importance for the Russians. That's the, the region 
um, that had the civil war going on for eight years at this point. Russia, Lavrov has said they were the ones who decided to intervene in Ukraine's civil war over the separatist area. And on the currency side, we've talked so much about how currency plays such a role in this. Well, the Russian ruble has now risen to near pre-invasion levels from the massive, massive plunge that it took just about one month ago. We're in day 34 of this thing. What does it mean? Well, it means that the Russian economy is now bracing, right, to be able to withhold, withstand these economic sanctions that were placed on. Because at the end of the day, they're the ones who hold the cards in terms of the raw materials here. They have the oil and they know that Western Europe needs it from them. This idea of getting renewables, it's not on the table right now for Western Europe. This idea of getting LNG from the United States, they don't have the infrastructure for it. The only way that they can get oil and natural gas right now is through Russia, and Russia knows that. So because they have them in this vice grip in terms of their energy resources, they knew that they held the cards on this. That's why you're seeing on the backs of these peace talks and the possible withdrawal of the encirclement of Kiev, right, obviously the threat was that they would go in for a full-on invasion of Kiev. Uh, and you can see the images coming out of Mariupol. You can see the images coming out of Kherson and Kharkiv, right? The understanding, the psychological impact that that would have on the government of Ukraine. Obviously, nobody wants that to happen to the city of Kiev. So as we're looking at this, now comes the question, right? Now comes the question, will Ukrainian neutrality actually be on the table here? Will there be a hostile government in place in Ukraine or one that's considered hostile by the Russians? Or will we see a situation where Ukraine is able to keep its sovereignty and how much land eventually is going to merge with Russia? We will continue to cover this here on Human Events Daily. As I've said, this is a developing story, but we are finally starting to potentially see some light at the end of the tunnel. This is in from Reuters. T-Mobile is planning to fire anyone who is not fully vaccinated by April 2nd. That's right. Believe it or not, a major telecommunications company is about to fire all its unvaccinated employees. That's why I am proud to partner with Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative cell phone provider. In fact, they're the only cell phone mobile provider that actually still believes in the Constitution. They offer the same great nationwide coverage as the major carriers. So you get the same great service, plus the peace of mind that your money is supporting free speech, life and liberty. Patriot Mobile has plans to fit any budget and their 100% U.S.-based customer support team provides exceptional customer support. Patriot Mobile shares your values and supports organizations fighting for religious freedom, constitutional rights, sanctity of life, and our veteran and first responder heroes. So how do you get it? You go to PatriotMobile.com slash POSO and you use promo code POSO. Veterans and first responders, you will save even more. So make the switch today. Support a company that loves America, loves you, and shares your values. PatriotMobile.com slash POSO. What's going on here is that the West is leading Ukraine down the primrose path. And the end result is that Ukraine is going to get wrecked. And I believe that the policy that I'm advocating, which is neutralizing Ukraine and then building it up economically and getting it out of the competition between Russia on one side and NATO on the other side, is the best thing that could happen to the Ukrainians. What we're doing is encouraging the Ukrainians to play tough with the Russians. We're encouraging 
the Ukrainians to think that they will ultimately become part of the West because we will ultimately defeat Putin and we will ultimately get our way. Time is on our side. And of course, the Ukrainians are playing along with this. And the Ukrainians are almost completely unwilling to compromise with the Russians and instead want to pursue a hardline policy. So that's Professor John Mearsheimer, eight years ago, explaining the situation that we find ourselves in now. The way the West destabilized Ukraine, built up a hostile government there, instituted regime change, and then led them down the primrose path without any plan to actually help them instead of having them continue to poke the bear, poke the bear, poke the bear vis-a-vis -vis Russia. So they wanted the government of Ukraine to become hostile with Russia and then eventually to institute NATO bases, NATO missiles, NATO military emplacements within the territory of Ukraine, territory that the Russians feel in many cases that has a shared history with them in many, in many parts of history was part of the Russian uh, state and certainly has a lot of spiritual history when you go into way, way back a thousand years into the Christianization of the Rus people, which took place on the banks of that very same Dnieper River that we're talking about every day today. So Mearsheimer is explaining this using history, using logic, using reasoning. However, U.S. foreign policy journalist Melissa Chan has a different idea. She has a different take on all of this. She says Mearsheimer is saying, well, basically his view is that she wore a short skirt and so she deserves what's coming to her. And this is amazing. This is so amazing to me. And she wrote, she continued, Melissa Chan wrote, as a woman covering foreign policy and simply as a woman in society who sees regular justification of male violence, that Mearsheimer's views are not just wrong, but noxious in a wider sense too. This is actually amazing to me because she's accusing Mearsheimer of toxic masculinity and saying anyone who believes this must therefore be, what, what would you call that, a toxic masculinist, right? So... Here's what she doesn't understand. She's saying that Mearsheimer is arguing for aggression, that he wants this. That's not what Mearsheimer is doing. He's not making a normative argument. He's making a descriptive argument. This is the difference between realists and liberalists when it comes to international policy. But it also comes down to this idea of toxic masculinity versus liberal feminism. So what Melissa Chan is trying to do is ascribe liberal feminism to world affairs. So she thinks that you can make aggression go away just by saying, I oppose, I oppose aggression, all right? I, that's why you see the flags and the ribbons for every single one of these causes. You say, I oppose this. And we're, you know what, we're gonna sign a piece of paper that says we oppose this. We're gonna, we're gonna give a speech that says how much we oppose it, right? We're not actually gonna do anything about the conditions that could potentially cause aggression or potentially that have, we can see throughout history that have caused aggression in time after time after time, or try to understand history, competition over resources, hostile governments versus neutral governments, buffer states, great power politics, throw all that stuff out the window. No, 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 no. It's just people who are mean and nasty versus people who are good and virtuous. And this is the problem, right? Because Mearsheimer isn't saying that he supports aggression. He's describing history for what it is, right? This is the Hobbesian view again. Life is nasty, brutish, and short. Human nature exists. It is, period. It is invaluable. It is insoluble. You cannot change human behavior. 
You cannot change human nature. You can't make us better people. We are, right? We are. But we can channel those decisions to different outcomes. That's what this is all about. And when you try to impose that vision of the world by force at the point of a bayonet, whether it's in Iraq, Libya, Afghanistan, Syria, then you might just provoke a response. You might get people from the other side saying, I disagree. And I'm going to show you how much I disagree when you continue to poke the bear. So it's really amazing to me, right? So they've taken this idea of liberal feminism and they're trying to paint all of foreign affairs with it. And they're saying that if you don't agree with liberal feminism, this idea that you can make aggression go away, that you can make competition go away, that you can make, that everybody can be friends and that everybody can get along, but also, by the way, that if you don't want to be friends and you don't want to just get along and put yourself on the U.S. dollar standard and make sure that you're, you know, you're capitulating the petrodollar and everything else, well, then we can destroy you, right? So that's where you get your Madeleine Albrights. That's where you get your Hillary Clintons from because we will destroy you. Keep in mind, all of this stuff is connected. There is a reason that some of the biggest proponents of liberal feminism, like Hillary Clinton, are also behind some of the most destructive wars of the last 20 years. Have you heard of the three-week rule? What is the three-week rule? Well, the three-week rule may be the best financial advice ever. Wait three weeks to buy that new car. Wait three weeks to refi your home mortgage. And wait three weeks to finance any major purchase. And why three weeks? Because that is how fast the average ScoreMaster user takes to boost their credit score an average of 61 points. Seriously, 61 points can be added to your credit score and save you tens of thousands in everything that you finance. What is ScoreMaster? Well, ScoreMaster technology was developed by credit data scientists to boost your credit score higher and faster than you ever thought possible. And ScoreMaster understands that it's so easy to take about a minute to get started. You don't have to wait months and months to actually upgrade your credit score. So you try it. It's completely free. You can see how many points you can add. How do you do it? You go to scoremaster.com slash poso, scoremaster.com slash poso. We know there's a lot of things that go into your credit score. You want to have a good one before you try to refinance anything, scoremaster.com slash poso. Well, we saw the pain at the pump with the rapidly rising prices that everybody across the country was seeing. And we decided we wanted to take some, you know, urgent, immediate action. And this all came together really quickly. Uh, within a week of us calling on our legislature to act, uh, they passed this unanimously across party lines in both houses uh, and, and so here in Maryland, instead of just arguing about who's to blame for it, we decided to uh, take immediate action to do something about it. Well, there's Governor Larry Hogan, a guy who calls himself a Republican, but doesn't normally do very many conservative things. This probably being one of the more conservative things that he's done uh, since his term started as governor of Maryland. Then we've also, by the way, down in Georgia, the governor of Georgia has also suspended the sales tax. Uh, or excuse me, the gas tax in general for that state, but only for a period of about 30 days. They're trying to ease the price. So Maryland dropped, it was a 36.1 cents per gallon tax, and Georgia waived its 29 cents per gallon tax on gas as well. But because this is coming at a time where Americans are now seeing price at the pump that are going up like crazy. And the thing that I wanted to get into is like, look, we, we talk about 
Ukraine. We talk about foreign policy. We talk about President Biden. We talk about his failures on the world stage. They want you to care so much about what's going on thousands and thousands of miles away. And they say that it's your duty to care about this. Well, when your prices at the pump are hitting, they're touching $5 across many parts of the country. In some parts of the country, they're touching $7. Like out in California, I got people telling me. Meanwhile, in the city of Philadelphia, you got a 15-year-old kid going out in front of his house to get something from his dad's car, shot in the head, killed. But the billboards all up and down the highways in Pennsylvania say, stand with Ukraine, stand with Ukraine, stand with Ukraine. Don't worry about what's going on in your own cities. Don't worry about the violent crime that's going up across every major city in the entire United States for the last two years. An explosion of violent crime. People pushing criminal justice reform, like Katanji Brown-Jackson, by the way, same, same type of stuff we're talking about. Now, we focus, of course, on those child porn cases, but it's the same philosophy of judicial reform, this idea that, well, we can just make people better, that there's no such thing as human nature, and that's what Mearsheimer was getting at, this, that we can just make people better, and that if we, you know, kind of wave our hands and put up billboards, that the problems will just go away because we want them to. And then you've got people in mainline Pennsylvania who would happily step over an addict who was strung out, OD'd on fentanyl in the street to be able to get to their Starbucks. And you see people doing that in San Francisco every day with human feces on the ground. So we're going to talk a little bit more here on Human Events Daily about the things that are actually going on inside the United States while the media wants us to focus on the things that are going on at the edges of American influence all the way on the step of Eurasia. But so there's other people out there saying right now that the problem isn't the taxes and the problem isn't production. No, 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 no. They're saying it's not, it's, it's not a supply side problem. It obviously is. They're saying it's a demand problem. So I tweeted out this article yesterday. I put up the map of where the gas prices are, and I got a response saying, the problem is American consumption. And if Americans would just consume less, then gas prices would go down. This, is, by the way, is the exact same argument that President Jimmy Carter made in his famous malaise speech back in the 1970s. He said, Americans just need to consume less. You need to settle for less. You know, work, work, do more with less. You'll be fine. Right? And I'm not going to come out and knock that, right? Because... I do think that as a country, we need to steer away from materialism. But the problem is we don't live in that culture. We live in a materialist consumer culture, one that's been built up for 40 years at this point, right? We've turned away from traditional values. We've turned away from traditional morals. And we've gotten to this point of consume more, more, more. You got to watch more things. You got to go to more events. You need to buy the latest game, watch, see the latest movie, whatever it is, right? Streaming, 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 binging, binging, binging. You can turn on, you can hold a piece of glass in your hand and you can order everything to your home from food to sexual partners with the press of a button. So when we live in that kind of culture, you're going to come around and tell people to stop consuming? No. We have a problem of cultural rot, that's for sure. But we need to deal with these issues full on. After months of saying that they won't lock down the entire city, Shanghai's government just locked down the Pudong area behind me. It'll be locked down until the 1st of April, and after that, they will lock down where I am right now, the Pusi area west of the Huangpu River. 
This is the first time that China's most populous city has decided to limit movements in such big areas. Since 2020, Shanghai has been adopting a policy known as precise pandemic control. Local authorities often limit the scope of lockdowns, which are sometimes as small as a single bubble tea shop. But since the arrival of the highly infectious Omicron variant, Shanghai's COVID-19 cases have spiked. On March 27th, the city recorded over 3,000 infections, over 90% of them with mild or no symptoms. So that's what's going on in the city of Shanghai. You know, I, um, I always have this, this weird spot in my, you know, in my background when I talk about Shanghai because I lived there for two years, right? So I've spent more time in Shanghai than any other major city in the world actually living there, right? Um, you know, I work in D.C., but I live outside the city. And in many ways, it's weird because it still feels like the city where I've spent so much time in my life. You know, I lived in the Putuo district, which is part of Pu, uh, Pushi. So you hear him talking about Pushi there, and the way Shanghai works is it's broken up into two halves. So Pushi is the west side of the river, Pudong is the east side of the river. Uh, it's a very safe city, normally. Uh, when you live in a police state, the wanton crime and senseless violence that you see in American cities just isn't there, right? Because people are terrified of the authorities. Um, and this lockdown that you're now seeing that's gonna be taking place, and they're talking about this spreading, to from the central districts. So Pudong, that's your that's basically the Wall Street of China, Pudong. And then it's gonna be spreading into into Pushi, then Minhang, Jinshan, Chongming Island. So the whole outlying districts, basically the entire city of Shanghai, right? This is the authoritarianism of the CCP. They're talking about rounding people up for testing, using drones to enforce the lockdown. You're gonna see people being locked back in their houses again. This is the way the CCP deals with things. And when it came to the lockdowns here in the United States and the way that our government started to be run, suddenly people questioned, wait a minute, I thought we were a free country. Why is the government doing these things? Why aren't we following the actual science on this? Right? This is all about Omicron. This is about the Omicron variant. We know that the Omicron variant is not as bad as some of the other variants that have been out there. People have been able to deal with it. Also, last time I checked, I thought China had vaccinated a great number of its people, specifically in large population centers like the city of Shanghai. So Shanghai is, depending on the count, either the largest or one of the top cities in all of China. But understand, this is the authoritarianism that we see being conducted by the CCP that came in and infected our own country, our own ruling class, whether you want to call it the Great Reset or the World Economic Forum or Klaus Schwabism, right? This is the type of authoritarianism that has come to the U.S., and this is where it's come from. They have no problem with locking down their people. And the people there, you're seeing suicides skyrocketing inside the city of Shanghai. You're seeing people fighting back in places like Shenzhen, but there's nothing you can do about it because the government there is all powerful and you have to listen. Their facial recognition programs, their social media scrubbing, tracking your cell phones, it's all done straight from the government. They don't put a mask on it like they do here, but mark my words, it's what they wanna bring here. And that's all the time we have for Human Events Daily today. Remember our promise, our oath, our solemn vow to you, be good, be brief, be gone. What did we talk about today? Massive diplomatic updates coming straight from the banks of the Bosphorus, there in the city of Istanbul, the palace of the Ottoman sultans, 
where Russia and Ukraine are sitting down for diplomatic talks today to hopefully end this war on day 34. We talked about whether or not Professor Mearsheimer was conducting toxic masculinity uh, in his 2015 warning on Ukraine. We got into Georgia and Maryland suspending the gas tax in Shanghai, entering stage two of a massive lockdown in the city. Before we go today, today's history break. Today in 1973, American troops evacuated Saigon, later called Ho Chi Minh City, as the United States ended its involvement in the Vietnam War. We haven't won a war since 1945. Understand that, folks. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, you have my permission to lay ashore.